Coming up on this edition of the Rancher Radio podcast, we're going to learn how Adam and Eve actually lived on Earth and their home life. Also, we're going to be addressing some interesting questions from listener email and also some follow-up on our previous podcast. So we'll continue here on the Arantia Radio podcast. It's good to have you here. And we thought that by delving into two episodes per week, we could focus a little bit on some of the Arantia book itself and also on topics that we pick up from time to time and especially those wonderful interviews like the one we had with Byron Belitzos. And we hope to hear from Byron when he returns from his upcoming National Academy of Religion Conference, which is uh, coming up in D.C. And it's kind of interesting to hear about his approach of taking a scholarly strategy and and trying to introduce the revelation uh, to the world of academia. Do you think they'll ever come around? It's hard to know, isn't it? It really is. It would be great, though. I think Byron's on the right track. It would be a an enormous benefit if there were professors and teachers who would teach at least elements of the Urantia book, if not teach it uh, alongside with some of the other world religions. And I would be curious to know if that is, in fact, going on anywhere. So if you're a Urantia book reader and you happen to know that there's a school or a college or maybe a community college, I know I'd love to know about it. And I know our our listeners would as well. By the way, I want to let people know that if you are interested in submitting a paper that you think would be worth the attention of this group of people who listen to this podcast, which is growing every day and every week, uh, send me a a note. Tell me what you would like for us to share and any thoughts that you have. I'd like to restrict it to just a couple of sections from each paper because, as you know, papers can be rather lengthy. But if there's a paragraph or a section that you think is worthy of, of being shared and Maybe you want to tell us why, uh, Radio at gmail.com. So I want to get into this Adam and Eve home life. I was reading it the other day. This is from paper 74, section 6, if you want to read along. Uh, but, you know, their original intent, Adam and Eve, was to uplift both biologically and intellectually, as well as spiritually, the human race. And there is no dispute, even if you were to look at it from a biblical perspective, Adam and Eve were 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 extremely significant uh, to the Hebrew religion and and still is to the Christian religion and many other religions around the world. It's not exclusive. Adam and Eve were for everybody, right? But, of course, the plan fell, and there was the temptation, and then there was the shortcutting, and then there was the subsequent uh, penalty, which was that they had to leave the garden and resettle well, they had to leave the garden because the natives were getting restless and they needed to get the hell out of there. And so they ended up settling in the second garden in an area we know now know as Iraq, somewhere in Iraq, between the Tigris and the Euphrates. And this was some 37,000 years ago. They were only 100 years into their plan before it all fell. But they still persevered, and there was that period of time where things were working the period from the time that Adam and Eve first arrived from Jerusalem uh, as the Adamic son and daughter, the material son and daughter, the, what would be the second revelation. And so they set out to have their work cut out. The site for the garden was chosen. We talked a little bit about that in the previous podcast with, uh, with Byron off the coast of Syria, where 
years later, I think it was maybe 10, 20,000 years later, if I'm not mistaken, that same peninsula that once housed the first garden, the garden that's actually described partly in, in Genesis, um, it's submerged, and so now there is experiments. And we talked a little bit about that in the previous podcast. If you didn't catch that, uh, tune into the last third of my conversation with Byron, and we get into that. But even if you know none of this, even if you don't know any of this, and you've never heard any of it, uh, Adam and Eve, what was it like for them to live? Here's their story as told by Salonia. And Salonia is a seraphic personality. And she's also referred to in this section as the voice of the garden. So they were in communication with Adam and Eve throughout. And she, this Salonia, is telling us their story. And within the fabric of this story are lessons that we could very well take from Adam and Eve, because this was their plan. This was, they were starting to put together their plan for what would eventually be the dominant culture on earth, had their plan succeeded. So why can't we take what they were doing and apply it to our own situation? And maybe we can learn some things from them. And maybe that's why we're being told what they were doing. So here we go. From paper 74, section 6, paragraph 1. The Adamic family grounds embraced a little over five square miles. Immediately surrounding this home site, provision had been made for the care of more than 300,000 of the pure line offspring, but only the first unit of the projected buildings were ever constructed. Before the size of the Adamic family outgrew these early provisions, the whole Edenic plan had been disrupted and the garden vacated. Adam's son was the firstborn of the violet race of Urantia being followed by his sister and Eve's son, the second son of Adam and Eve. You know, I read that and I said, why did they name the sister? What was her name? Eve? No. The second son of Adam was, was Eve's son. Eve was the mother of five children before the Melchizedeks left. And the Melchizedeks were the advisors. They were serving here in between the fall of Dalmatia and the Caligastria Rebellion some 450,000 years previous. So they left shortly after Adam and Eve took over. They had three sons and two daughters. The next two were twins. Eve bore 63 children, 32 daughters, and 31 sons before the default. When Adam and Eve left the garden, their family consisted of four generations, numbering 1,647 pure-line descendants. They had 42 children after leaving the garden, besides the two offspring of joint parentage, with the mortal stock on earth, specifically Cain and Abel, who they're talking about there. And this does not include the Adamic parentage to the later Nodites and evolutionary races. The Adamic children did not take milk from animals when they ceased to nurse the mother's breast at one year of age. Eve had access to the milk of a great variety of nuts and to the juices of many fruits. And knowing full well the chemistry and energy of these foods she suitably combined them for the nourishment of her children until the appearance of teeth. So as a footnote to that, she was well aware of the chemistry and energy of the great variety of nuts and juices to which she had access. So there's a lesson. What we might want to have as part of our dietary substance for our children, perhaps, 
What are the benefits of the many fruits and juices? What are the chemical makeups and energy that we can... Hmm, pretty interesting. While cooking was universally employed outside the immediate Adamic sector of Eden, there was no cooking in Adam's household. They found their foods, fruits, nuts, and cereals ready prepared as they ripened. Again, another lesson on nutrition. What are they teaching us here? What are they trying to tell us? Adam and Eve ate once a day. Once a day. Doesn't sound like three square meals to me. Shortly after noontime is when they ate. They also imbibed in light and energy, direct from certain space emanations in conjunction with the ministry of the Tree of Life. A friend uh, commented to me the other day that Adam and Eve uh, were absorbing sunlight, which is a great source of vitamin D, which, as we know, is incredibly important to your immune system. So in 1935, when they're writing this, we're not yet aware of some of these properties that we get from the sun, at least not commonly. So they're making an inferation here that Adam and Eve also received, of course, they were of the material order. However, that doesn't mean that this doesn't work for us to some degree. Paper 74, section 6, paragraph 5. The bodies in, of Adam and Eve gave forth a shimmer of light, but they always wore clothing in conformity with the custom of their associates. Though wearing very little during the day, at eventide they donned night wraps. The origin of the traditional halo encircling the heads of supposed pious and holy men dates back to the days of Adam and Eve, since the light emanations of their bodies were so largely obscured by clothing. Only the radiating glow from their heads was discernible. The descendants of Adamson always thus portrayed their concept of individuals believed to be extraordinary in spiritual development. Adam and Eve could communicate with each other and with their immediate children over a distance of about 50 miles. This thought exchange was affected by means of the delicate gas chambers located in close proximity to their brain structures. By this mechanism, they could send and receive thought oscillations. But this power was instantly suspended upon the mind's surrender to the discord and dis disruption of evil. The Adamic children attended their own schools until they were 16, the younger being taught by the elder. The little folks changed activities every 30 minutes, the older every hour. And it was certainly a new sight on Urantia to observe these children of Adam and Eve at play, joyous and exhilarating activity just for the sheer fun of it. The play and humor of the present-day races are largely derived from the Adamic stock. The Adamites all had a great appreciation of music as well as a keen sense of humor. The average age of betrothal was 18, and these youths then entered upon two years' course of instruction in preparation for the assumption of marital responsibilities. At 20, they were eligible for marriage, and after marriage, they began their life work or entered upon special preparation therefore. The practice of some subsequent nations of permitting the royal families, supposedly descended from the gods, to marry brother to sister, dates from the tradition of the Adamic offspring, mating as they must needs with one another. The marriage ceremonies of this first and second generations of the garden were always performed by Adam and Eve. So they were the first, do you such and such take such and such to be your wife? 
So that originates from this time. The children of Adam, ex except for four years' attendance in the Western schools, lived and worked in the east of Eden, making a reference to the biblical term. They were trained intellectually until, until they were 16 in accordance with the methods of the Jerusalem schools. From 16 to 20, they were taught in the Arantia schools at the other end of the garden, serving there also as teachers in the lower grades. The entire purpose of the Western school system of the garden was socialization. The forenoon periods of recess were devoted to practical horticulture and agriculture, the afternoon periods to competitive play, and the evenings were employed in social intercourse and the cultivation of personal friendships. Religious and sexual training were regarded as the province of the home and the duty of the parents. Here's what they taught. The teachings of these schools included instruction regarding health and the care of the body, the golden rule, the standard of social intercourse, the relation of individual rights, individual rights to group rights and community obligations, history and culture of the various earth races, methods of advancing and improving world trade, coordination of conflicting duties and emotions, the cultivation of play, humor, and competitive substitutes for physical fighting. Now, I would just point out that if we adopted this program in our schools, things would quickly change in our country. If there was somebody out there that was setting up a charter school and this is what they did, teaching about how to take care of your body in a proper way, is that something they teach in school these days? How about teaching the golden rule? Do unto others as you would have done to you. What if that was a class? What about the relation of individual rights to group rights and community obligations? Instead of uh, training little young people to be activists for social justice, how about we learn about the individual rights in relation to group rights and then apply those under those community obligations which fall under the golden rule? Yeah, things would change pretty quickly, I think. What about teaching about the history and culture of the various earth races? Well, we do that to a certain extent. Probably need to do more of it. Uh, they're also taught, again, advancing and improving world trade, a coordination of conflicting duties and emotions, having classes on how to control your emotions, how to make them work for you. And then, finally, the cultivation of play, humor, and competitive substitutes for physical fighting. So there's a little bit that we do, but there's room for improvement. And this is how they were setting up Adam and Eve in their first initial community with their own children, with the idea that this would eventually grow and become the dominant culture. The schools, and I'm reading from paper 74, section 7, Paragraph 11, the schools, in fact, every activity in the garden were always open to visitors. Unarmed observers are freely admitted to Eden for short visits. To sojourn in the garden of Urantian had to be, quote, adopted. He received instruction in the plan and purpose of the Adamic bestowal, signified his intention to adhere to this mission, and then made declarations of loyalty to the social rule of Adam and the spiritual sovereignty of the Universal Father. 
The moral law of Eden was a little different from the seven commandments of Dalmatia, but the Adamites taught many additional reasons for these commands. For, for instance, regarding the injunction against murder, the indwelling of the thought adjuster was presented as an additional reason for not destroying human life. They taught that, quote, whose sheds man's blood by man shall his blood be shed, for the image of God made he man. From paper 74-7, Adam endeavored to teach the races sex equality. 40,000 years ago, Adam and Eve were teaching about sex equality. Uh, had they succeeded, imagine how much farther we would be along today. The way Eve worked side by side of her, of her husband made a profound impression upon all dwellers in the garden. Adam definitely taught them that the woman, equally with the man, contributes those life factors which unite to form a new being. There, for mankind has presumed all procreation resided in, quote, the loins of the father. They looked upon the mother as being merely a provision for nurturing in the unborn and the nursing of the newborn. Adam taught his contemporaries all they could comprehend, but that was not very much, comparatively speaking. Nevertheless, the more intelligent of the races of Earth looked forward eagerly to the time when they would be permitted to intermarry with the superior children of the violet race. And what a different world Urantia would have become if this great plan of uplifting the races had been carried out. Even as it was, tremendous gains resulted from the small amount of the blood of this imported race, which the evolutionary peoples incidentally secured. And thus did Adam work for the welfare and uplift of the world of his sojourn. But it was a difficult task to lead these mixed and mongrel peoples in the better way. So the next chapter, and I'll invite you to read it because it's, you should read it if you haven't in a while, is the legend of creation. And they go into how uh, the Hebrew legend came down through the Babylonian captivity. And as the legend grew, it became more and more profound. Then they began to incorporate all kinds of other things into it. And eventually it became one of the moral stories of the Bible. In fact, it's the first story in the Bible. But it's interesting. They spend a great amount in this paper, once again, which is paper 74, Section 8, if you'd like to read about how we today understand the legend of creation, this narrative will explain pretty much everything. It's definitely worth a read. So there we will leave it this time on the Arantia Radio Podcast. Again, we're dropping two episodes a week now. We're doing interviews and topics. And then over the weekend, we'll drop a, a particular paper, hopefully chosen by you. So if you've got a paper you'd like for me to share on the Arantia Radio podcast, send me an email. It may be a few uh, reasons why. 